All right. Mark 4, Mark 4. I'm going to read some stuff that I have been uh, writing per the usual, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get into Mark 4. So everything I'm about to read has nothing to do with health. It's going to sound like that, but just consider this a parable, whatever you want to call it, um, for some spiritual stuff. But just, just hang with me for a minute, okay? A, a symptom, according to Oxford Dictionary, is a physical or mental feature which is regarded as indicating a condition of disease, particularly such a feature that is apparent to the patient. Another definition of a symptom is a sign of the existence of something, especially of an undesirable situation. This idea of a symptom follows very closely with the idea of a sign, as in signs and wonders, okay? Signs and wonders point us to something deeper than what's going on on the surface. So healing, just for healing's sake, means absolutely nothing unless it points you to the healer, right? So we could go around healing people left and right. If they never meet Jesus, does it matter? No. You know what I'm saying? So, so if heaven falls in this room and gold dust shoots everywhere and there's angels everywhere and all that stuff, but no one has an encounter with Jesus that takes them deeper in the secret place, it didn't mean anything. We had a cool encounter. You know what I'm saying? Hey, what's up, guys? Alex, you always look just so good. So I need, I need to start dressing up a little bit. Amen? Don't say amen. Um, <laughs> you'd be surprised how many people wish I wear a suit and tie every week. Um, so a symptom, a symptom, okay, is not a disease. Y'all with me? We're going to go real deep. A symptom is not a disease. A symptom is your body telling you there's disease somewhere within that if gone unnoticed would potentially kill you. Most label symptoms as a negative. Symptoms are actually a good thing because you would otherwise be unaware of an issue. You with me? I'm not talking about health. It sounds like it, but y'all just track with me. Symptoms make you aware of the fact that there is disease somewhere hidden. That word disease, if you break it down, is dis-ease. The word dis in English, like disproportionate or disinterested, essentially means not. So if you're disinterested, you're not interested. With me? So to have dis-ease means you're not at ease. That's what that word, when you break it down, means. With me? So symptoms, symptoms make you aware of the fact that there is dis-ease somewhere in a hidden place. Let me give you an example. Again, I'm not talking about health. I don't desire to argue about health and all that stuff. I'm just trying to give us a little parable. Let's say you don't drink water for four days. All you do for four days is drink coffee. I can speak from experience. I do this frequently. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what you drinking with dinner? Coffee. Um, so let's say you go four days without water you're going to start having headaches, right? I mean, it's just scientific. And what we, a lot of times, 
like to do is start rebuking the headache, right? In, in Jesus' name, I rebuke you. I don't want you. And because we think the headache is the disease. The headache's not the disease. The headache's a blessing saying, go get you some water, right? So there's a deeper issue. Headache does not exist without a deeper disease. There's not a deeper disease. There's not a symptom. So a symptom is your body flashing a red light saying there's something wrong in a hidden place that you would not notice if I were not here. We're about to go some awesome places. Where the adversary takes a lot of ground is getting us distracted fighting symptoms rather than targeting actual issues. You can take a Tylenol or an Advil and make a symptom go away. But what happen, happens when the medicine wears off? It's right back. Because you never dealt with the issue that caused the headache, you simply silenced the indicator telling you something is wrong. We've made a habit of covering up shoving down and silencing symptoms of disease because that's way easier than getting to the root issues that cause the symptoms in the first place. So, so we'll give people medicine for anxiety, for example, when anxiety is not their issue. Their issue is there's something deep-rooted that is manifesting itself in a symptom of anxiety, but anxiety is not the issue. Y'all with me? So our society, though, we've made the decision. We're going to settle for symptom management or pain management rather than doing the dirty work of getting down to the issue and saying, this is not healthy. So we're going to walk through the process of getting you to a place of health where you're no longer anxious. So, so I, I could, man, 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 how far do we go? I, I could take... Let me, let me say it like this. If I, if I eat McDonald's every single day of the week, which I would love to do, I love McDonald's, right? Amen? I, in fact, I, my, they're watching that in kids right now. now. Right now, my daughter's probably asking for French fries. But, right, if I eat McDonald's for eight months straight, I won't be sick. But it's not because I'm sick. It's because I've been treating my body like trash for eight months. Right? So, but, but what do we do is we'll get to that point and we'll start, we'll start taking symptom management stuff. Why? Because we don't want to stop the issue that got us there in the first place. Therefore, we're going to start slapping band-aids on things and covering up and saying they don't exist. They do exist because there is dis-ease somewhere in a secret place. With me? I, you can trace every single susceptibility to sin or to the enemy right down to a breakdown in the secret place. I promise you, you can. Pastors stop spending time with the Lord. I promise you, they'll start stressing out about people leaving. I believe I can trace every issue in society today back to religion which in my opinion is the most deadly of sins because it covers up sin with works 
and talk to the point we don't even recognize what sin is anymore. I hope y'all love me today. Jesus did a lot with sinners, but he was killed at the hands of the religious. Jesus did a lot with sinners. He was killed at the hands of the religious. Religion has taught us to live with our disease. It's almost made it like a pet. Religion has made our disease pets. Just come along. Let's get you in a 12-step program. You're going to live with it. You're this. You're, you're an alcoholic. That's just who you are. But we'll deal with this. We'll deal with it. I'm here to tell you today, if you've been set free from being an alcoholic, you are not an alcoholic. But, but that's the mindset that we get in. Somebody won't have a drink for a year and still call themselves an alcoholic. Right. Because all they did was a 12-step symptom management program and never got to the heart level where it said, you're actually not what you say you are anymore. The same, same thing. You go to people who have been saved for 10, 20, 30 years, and they'll still tell you, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you are not. You were before you stepped into the righteousness of God's salvation, but now you are not a sinner saved by grace. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You can't be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and a sinner at the same time. So you're either one or the other. And I believe what the Lord's doing right now is he's laying a mark in the sand and he's making, specifically in America, I can't speak for anywhere else, he's making leaders and people make the decision, you're either this or you're this, but I am not letting you stay in the middle anymore. So what we're going to do is we're going to shut all the churches that have been a show. We're going to lock all the doors that have been about anything but me. And then we're going to get to the root of who you really are. And so for seven months, all we've seen is squirming. That's all we've seen is Christians all over the place, here and everywhere else, just squirming. Why? Because he has shut down all the medicine that we've been taking to cover up symptoms so that we could finally see the disease that's present in the American church. There is dis-ease in the, let me say it like this, you never, you never have to force the right piece to fit in the right slot. Think with me for a second. You never have to force the right piece of a puzzle in the right slot. It just slides right in. You have to start forcing when you're trying to take a piece that was never designed to go in that slot and force it into the slot. Does anybody else do this? This is why I don't do puzzles anymore. Because I'll get halfway and I'll be like, you know what? I know this is supposed to go there. Bam, bam. You know, just, did anybody else do that? Especially with some of Veda's stuff. It's like the easiest little puzzles. And you'll get about five minutes in and be like, I'm 28. How in the world? And you, you just start getting angry. That's why we don't do But. Uh, my, my wife, she, she'll laugh like crazy. We did a puzzle a couple of weeks ago, and I got about a third in, and I was just like, there's got to be missing pieces because that's not fitting, and this doesn't look right, and all this stuff, and then she sits down and puts it all together. Um, but but you, you see what I'm doing? So if there's ever a point in your life where you feel like with the Lord or with anything else in your life, you're doing this, that is a sign you are not putting the right piece in the right place. This is what happens when people that are, especially young people, try to move into callings prematurely, prematurely, 
is you start cramming things in places that were, that's called extortion, taking stuff by force. If you've been here, you've heard me talk about it before. When the Lord speaks a word over you, Jeremiah says, he watches over his word to perform it. So if I hear a word from the Lord and then I start trying to make it happen on my own, by definition, I am extorting the word of the Lord. I am taking it by force. I was never called to take it by force. I was called to be still and know that he is God and he is the one that watches over his word to perform it. His timing and my timing aren't the same. I think it was C.S. Lewis. It might have been um, somebody else, but I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, the present, the present moment is the place where eternity and time meet. The present is where eternity and time meet. You can't do anything about the past, but remember it. And you sure can't do anything about the future because it's not here yet. Ironically, a lot of people live in the place that you can't do anything about anyway, which is the future. How many people have stayed awake at night, not able to sleep because you're thinking about what might happen in the days to come? If, if you sit, I do that all the time. If you, if you sit down and think about it, that is crazy. You can't control it. If it's bad or good, you can't do anything about it. So you might as well sleep. Right? You know what I'm saying? But, but, this, but we, we get so caught up on symptoms. What if that symptom shows up tomorrow? If you are healthy on the inside, there are no symptoms. Man. Okay. Religion's taught us to live with our disease. It's taught us symptom management. Jesus came with the cure for what religion would never dare look to, the broken heart. Jesus came with a cure for what religion refuses to look to, which is the broken heart. The broken heart. You never have to, and I just said this, you never have to force something that fits. Never have to force something that fits. It's easy, the right piece is easy or right because it was made for that moment or for that slot, okay? So the definition of disease is, you ready for this? this I, I was blown away when I looked this up. The definition of disease, a condition of the body or of one of its parts that impairs normal functioning and is typically manifested by distinguishing signs and symptoms. Right. A condition of the body or one of its parts that impairs normal functioning. I read this and immediately started repenting for how I do not pray for any other church but our own. Because we could be functioning and firing on all cylinders, but according to this, if there's one part of the body, which is not just this church, if there's one part of the body, one part that, in, that is functioning in a mindset or in a spirit of disease, it impairs the normal functioning of the whole thing. So we need revival not just here. We need revival in America is what we need. And then beyond that, we really need revival across the world. 
Because if there's one part that is diseased, the whole body ceases to function like it was designed. Today, today, I want to look at how we can trace symptoms back to the root cause or disease. The way we can remain steadfast or persevere is to move from symptom management to disease cures. Of course, and I said this earlier, but I just want to finish with this. Of course, I'm speaking metaphorically for spiritual realities, though it applies, I guess, literally too. Um, Another piece, let me read this before we go to um, Mark 4. Another piece to clear vision is seeing the world around us through the signpost, as N.T. Wright calls it, as the signpost or symptoms. Another piece to clear vision is seeing the world around us through the signpost that Yahweh has placed in our way. N.T. Wright uses this language to say that God has put signpost in all of creation, pointing us to Jesus and new creation. So the signposts alone are nothing, but they're imperative for seeing that which they are pointing to. So when we're on our way, when we're on our way to Myrtle Beach, uh, I love getting to Myrtle Beach, but the drive from here to Myrtle Beach is rough. There is nothing there. Just straight on. Uh, But on the way there, I can tell you right now, just mentally, I have pictures of certain landmarks that tell me where I need to turn. I don't have to follow a GPS anymore because I've memorized the signpost. I can tell you landmarks that tell me where I need to turn or where I need to slow down or where cops usually stop, et cetera. And right, it's really, really important to remember. Um, Until I get to my destination, they're signposts. They mean absolutely nothing on their own. But in the scheme of getting me from point A to point B, they mean everything. So God has put signposts all throughout his creation that on their own are kind of meaningless. But in the 10,000 foot view of what God is doing across the globe are imperative from getting us to point A to point B. So, so an example of that is this year of 2020 thing. And, and I, hate, I hate the fact that there's been a lot of people who have made this kind of a, a, a cliche thing in the church. Because it's really not a cliche thing. And so what we're in is a year of a gigantic signpost telling us you're going in the wrong direction. This is your opportunity to change course. I mean, I, I was talking to, I don't think they're here. No, they're not here. Mr. Bragg and Miss Sally, I know they're watching online though. Oh, he told me he was going to be out of town. Um, about uh, Norway, South Carolina, down the street. And uh, he was talking about how some of their churches had started, you know, going back to church and stuff like that. And they had been praying that through this break, there would almost be a shift in mindset. It's so, so religious there. So religious. Very divided by race still. I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable. It's like a whole other world. Um, and he began to share, share with me how he's been talking to these pastors. And he said, it's like nothing's changed. They went on the break. They got back, and they're right back to the same old religious just junk. You know what I mean? And I started thinking about it. And what I believe, what I believe would be the most dangerous thing we could do with this whole season right now is for this to start wrapping up, which I'm speaking prophetically, that this bad boy is wrapping up. I'm sick of it. But that we could get to the back end of it, 
and go right back to the same old stuff we were doing before that got us in the mess we were in before. You know what I'm saying? And again, I'm not talking about health. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about spiritual health. It's amazing we go through a season where people are forced to be in the secret place for extended periods of time. Quarantine, if you want to call it that. Where you are forced to be in the secret place for extended periods of time. And people kick and scream and fight it like it's the worst thing ever. They, they do. Well, and another, that's a symptom saying there's something in the secret place that I do not want to face. Therefore, I need to get back to my religious distractions. What's going on in the world at large and individually for so many is not disease itself, but symptoms of disease. Symptoms serve the purpose of showing us that there is disease so that it can be dealt with. So symptoms both show us there is disease and point to new creation because dealing with root issues is the first step to establishing originality in the creation. So if Yahweh is allowing stuff to be brought to the surface, he's doing two things simultaneously. Number one, he's dealing with sin. Number two, he's establishing new creation. Because as you deal with sin, creation is brought back into its original design. See how this works? So a lot of times we get bogged down focusing on what Yahweh is bringing to the light when we don't see it as what he's actually doing in love, which is dealing with everything that has kept us from where we were designed to be in the first place. All right, Mark 4, before I preach a whole other message I was not supposed to preach today. <clears throat> Mark 4, hopefully you're there by now. We've had about 30 minutes to get there. Um, in the middle, uh, it's not in the middle of your Bible. I was about to say that. It's not in the middle. I guess if you have a passion translation, it's probably somewhere near the middle. Um, that's what I'm going to read this out of just to save us some time today. But Mark 4, start at verse 1. A lot of familiar stuff, but this is just, this, the Lord's been blowing me away with the book of Mark lately. Verse 1, once again, Jesus went to teach the people on the shore of the lake, Galilee, and a massive crowd surrounded him. The crowd was so huge that he had to get into a boat and teach the people from there. He taught them many things using parables to illustrate spiritual truths, saying, consider this, one of my favorite parables. Consider this, a farmer went out to sow seeds. As he cast his seeds, some fell on the beaten path, and soon the birds came and ate it. Other seeds fell onto gravel with no topsoil, and the seed quickly sprouted since the soil had no depth. But when the days grew hot, the sprouts were scorched and withered because they had insufficient roots. Other seeds fell among the thorns. So when the seed sprouted, so did the thorns, crowding out the young plants so that they could produce no grain. But some of the seeds fell onto good, rich soil that kept producing a good harvest. Some yielded 30, some 60, and some even 100 times as much as was planted. If you understand this, then you need to respond, or let you as an ear hear. Afterward, Jesus' disciples and those close to him remained behind to ask Jesus about his parables. 
He said to them, the privilege, listen to all this language right here. The privilege of intimately knowing the mystery of God's kingdom realm has been granted to you, but not to others, where everything is revealed in parables. And then he begins to quote some scripture. For even when they see what I do, they will not understand. When they hear, excuse me, and when they hear what I say, they will learn nothing. Otherwise, they would repent and be forgiven. Then he said to them, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any parable? Let me explain. The farmer sows the word as seed. And what falls on the beaten path represents those who hear the word, but immediately Satan appears and snatches it from their hearts. The seed sown on gravel represents those who hear the word and receive it joyfully, but because their hearts fail to sink a deep root into the word, they don't endure for long. For when trouble or persecution comes on account of the word, they immediately wilt and fall away. And the seed sown among thorns represents those who hear the word, listen to this, but they allow the cares of this life and the seduction of wealth and the desires for other things to crowd out and choke the word so that it produces nothing. But the seed sown on good soil represents those who open their hearts to receive the word and their lives bear good fruit. Some yield a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times more than what was sown. I'm gonna jump ahead to verse 26. Jesus also told them this parable. God's kingdom realm is like someone spreading seed. You hear this, the kind of connection right here? Spreading seed on the ground. The kingdom realm is like someone spreading seed on the ground. He goes to bed and gets up day after day, and the seed sprouts, grows tall, though he knows not how. All by itself it sprouts, and the soil produces a crop. First the green stem, then the head on the stalk, and then the fully developed grain in the head. Then, when the grain is ripe, he immediately puts the sickle to the grain because harvest time has come. Almost done. And he told them this parable. How can I describe God's kingdom realm? Let me illustrate it to you with a parable. It is like the mustard seed, the tiniest of all seeds, yet when it sprouts up and grows, it becomes the largest plant in the garden. And with so many enormous spreading branches, even birds can nest in its shade. Last couple of verses. Just listen. I want you to hear this right here. Jesus used many parables such as these as he taught the people, and they learned, listen to this, they learned according to their ability to understand. They learned according to their ability to understand. He never spoke to them without using parables, but would wait until they were alone before he would explain their meanings to his disciples. There, and I could keep going. There's, it's, it gets way crazier after that. A parable, a parable is a word in the Greek and Aramaic that means an, ignat, an excuse me, enigmatic saying that is meant to stimulate intense thought. 
Y'all with me? I know you're tired. I know it's been, well, it's not really been that big of a crazy season because everybody's been at home. So I guess that's not really an excuse either. So if you're tired, time to wake up. A parable, a parable is a saying that is meant to stimulate intense thought. This was the preferred method of teaching spiritual truths in Hebrew history. It's a way of teaching that would allow the hearer or reader to get things out of it based on their ability to understand. Think about this. Uh, The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, alive and active. Somebody could read a parable from Jesus and get one thing. Somebody else could read the same parable and get something on a whole nother level. The same parable, but they're getting two different things. The reason Jesus taught this is really revealed in that last verse, the last couple of verses I read it. They learned according to their ability to understand. He spoke things in a way that as you grew up in the spirit, you would continually find fresh revelation in the things that he spoke. I think that's unbelievable, personally. How smart was he? I mean, you think, we think about, you know, Jesus being this rough and tough carpenter that told the water to stop and walked on water. You know what I mean? Which he absolutely was. But we don't think about Jesus, the artisan that put pen to paper in the creation of everything. So primarily, he's creative. So he's, he's teaching the son of, let me say it like this, the word of God is teaching the word of God. And he's sitting there thinking, how am I going to unveil the truth of the word to them? And he delivers it in a way that wasn't based on his understanding. He delivered it in a way that was based on their understanding. So somebody who's a brand new Christian can read the parable I just read and immediately apply it to their life and get something out of it. Somebody who's been a Christian for 80 years can read the same parable and apply it to whatever they're walking through, and it means exactly the same to them because the Word of God is alive and active. So that has nothing to do with the message, but that's awesome to me. Jesus taught mostly using parables and then said, as I just read, let he who has an ear hear. Or, as the Passion Translation said, if you understand this, you need to respond. Because he longed for a kingdom full of those willing to repent, which is to change your thinking, and discover the depths of what is ultimately and unlimitedly discoverable. Proverbs 25.2, I've read this a lot before. It's God's privilege to conceal things and the king's privilege to search it out. So that's how he taught. In this parable, we have three things. Three things. If you're taking notes, this is your moment. We have three things. We have a farmer, we have seed, and we have soil. I don't normally get this like specific and teachy, but I feel this today. We have three things. We have a farmer, we have seed, and we have soil. Okay? Let me break these down real quick. The farmer is Jesus who is casting seed. The seed, let me mess with you for a second. The seed that he's casting is twofold. The seed is what he speaks, his word, 
primarily the message and teaching of the kingdom and God's rulership, and Jesus himself, who is the word of God made flesh. So the farmer is Jesus. The seed is the word, who primarily is Jesus himself. So as they received his words, they were actually receiving him. Are y'all with me? Y'all wait. Good grief. Y'all quiet. The soil, the soil, this is what we're going to spend most of the rest of the day on. The soil is the heart that receives and operates in what he speaks. Any issue with the harvest is a soil and root issue. We have made a habit out of judging and treating what's shooting up out of the soil, let's say a symptom, when what's shooting up is directly a result of the health of the soil that it's rooted in. So if the enemy can keep you distracted with what is produced, he wins. Why? Because you wasted your time with produce while never causing a change in your soil that would affect what is produced. We talked about this a lot Tuesday night. Let me just, let me just stop right here before I get into the rest of this. I don't have a line of notes after this. Um, I just got 10 pages. No, I'm just kidding. Um, now everybody's awake. Um, we talked about this Tuesday night. I feel like a lot of people right now are distracted. And if you were here Tuesday, this is all review. I feel like a lot of people right now are distracted. We're distracted. Think about this. We think, thanks to Greek philosophy and Dante. Anybody grow up uh, hearing about Dante's Inferno when you were in high school and stuff like that? Right. So a lot of our idea, let me say it like this. When I say the word demon, what do you picture? You picture a little gremlin with horns, maybe a pitchfork, and he's, he's just like this. Right? How do I know that? Because when Halloween comes around, that's all you see everywhere. That's what, so when I say demon, that's what you picture. Look, I'm, I'm going to get you. That's, you know, right? Right? Because of that, because we've bought into that, because we have made Plato give us our description of heaven and Dante give, it, give us our description of hell, neither of which believed in God and neither of which are in Scripture, by the way, because we've done that, we miss when a true demon actually shows up with a thought that just gets you one degree off. So while you're looking around, and I hate, y'all know how much I hate talking about the devil, but when you're looking for a demon to show up with a little pitchfork to poke you, while you're looking for that, you're trailing off on a thought that you're not good enough having no idea that that is actually the devil coming into your world, tempting you with thoughts that are not reality. Let me say it like this. The devil can do nothing with reality. He lost. He has no authority. So the only thing he can do is get you to distort reality into delusion because he can do a lot in delusion. <laughs> man, 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 man. Right? So, so when, some, when somebody you're in a relationship with, friendship, whatever, marriage, when somebody does something to you with good intentions and that hits you and you immediately start thinking the worst, 
So it's amazing to me how much people will take a text with a period in it and trail off into, at the end of the day, this person hates me. Right? Am I right? Am I right? Every, yeah, all y'all are smiling right now. How you doing? Good, period. They hate me. I've done something to them. I don't know what I've done, right? They're leaving our church, you know. <laughs> I, do it, I do it too. I do it too. I do it too. That's why I send so many exclamation marks to people. I don't want people to think anything. I sent somebody a text over Siri in the church the other day, over Siri, and Siri just, you know, does, you know, periods and stuff like that, and, uh, and they were like, hey, you good? And I was like, yeah, like, I just sent it over Siri, you know, I just sent periods. Anyway, right, but we'll take a little thing like that, and we'll just start, way off into left field, completely missing reality, and now we're operating in delusion that we're calling reality. That's called distraction, that's called distraction. So a lot of the church is operating in delusion and religion and missing the reality of what the king actually wants to do in the earth. Prove it, all right? Half the church is over here shrinking back because of coronavirus. And I think we should be smart, 100%. We should be smart. But if we're going to be smart, we need to start using our brains. I mean, I, how far do we get, Right? Right? If we want to do the smart thing, then I'm going to ask everybody to start using your thought process. Because in the South, we left that in 2018. We don't think. Right? So all, you get on social media, which is exactly why I got off of it in March. You get on social media and all you see is conspiracy theories left and right and people are distracted. And I'm not sitting here worrying about coronavirus. I'm not worrying about what's going on in the world. I'm focused on what Yahweh wants to do in the earth, which is ultimately establish a kingdom if we could ever get our heads out of thinking in delusion. This stuff fires me up because the church is being useless right now. And in fact, it's being used to destroy the church that's left. That's, that is what's happening, is that you got leaders who are shrinking back in fear. You got leaders who through this whole thing is being revealed that there's actually sin issues that never got dealt with because all we ever talk about is grace and hope and love and joy and peace. And we forget the way that we get to that reality is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? So you can't carry your sin into love, joy, peace, happiness, all that stuff, because then you get into symptom management. Because the disease is not you not being happy. The disease is you carried a sin into a new creation identity that was supposed to die when you said yes to the call of salvation. That's what salvation is. It's sozo. It's not a repeated prayer. It's you being born again. Why do you have to be born again? Because the person you were before cannot be the person that lives in the new kingdom, new creation reality that you're stepping into. It's, it's not, it, man, it's not, it's not enough. It's not enough for us to try to convince people that everything's going to be rainbows and roses after you get saved. It's not enough. It's not enough to say if you join a small group and you tithe and you repeat a prayer and you get baptized and you start serving that you're going to have a nice, blessed life. That's, that's not enough. It's not enough. We've got to get to the place where we are in such a place with Yahweh where he can begin to pour out a move of the Spirit like it's happening in Asia, like it's happening in Iran, like it's happening in Pakistan and all across the Middle East, and us actually be able to contain it. 
The reason we don't have what some of those other countries have is because they've gone through a heart surgery that has allowed them to receive the inheritance of a move of God that's changing nations. We can't receive it, not because he doesn't want to pour it out, but because he loves us enough to not give us something that would actually destroy us. So if Yahweh poured out his spirit today, let me just say, if Yahweh poured out his spirit today, like he's pouring it out across other countries, people would start calling this thing demonic. Prove it. Because people call me the devil all the time. I get called the devil more than I get called pastor. Now, I mean, don't say all, right? He, he didn't say this would be easy. He said, I'd be persecuted for this. He called me devil all you want. While you're sitting around, man, 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 man. While we're sitting around calling people each other, while we're sitting around calling each other names, or a handful of people are establishing a kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was not bothered by people saying, he's doing this being filled with the devil. He wasn't bothered. He went straight to a cross. He died looking at all the people who said, give us Barabbas. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Three days later, he got up. Even death couldn't touch him. And he gave 120 in an upper room a fire that when they planted themselves in the reality of a new creation, new world reality, they were moving deeper by the end of the book of Acts into the gospel being spread across the globe that could have never happened had one man not said, it's better for me to die than to live and try to do this on my own. Oh, man. John 4, 23, John 4, 23, Jesus goes to the woman at the well. He starts giving her this inheritance of a new identity, of a love she's never known. And she starts getting distracted saying, well, is it right for y'all to worship there or for us to worship here? Totally distracted. This is what Jesus says. He says, from now on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place but of the right heart, of the right heart. Soil equals heart in this parable. From now on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but of the right heart. I think a lot of times we think we can get in the right environment to fix all of our issues. And your issues go with you in every environment until you let him deal with the heart. People, I mean, people all the time. If, if, I, can, if I can just get to, to Dream or Bethel or any of these people that are seeing just awesome moves of the Spirit, if I can just get there, all my issues will be taken care of. And when you get there, what we're finding out is a lot of people who move here for this, what they're realizing is, is they thought that this would allow all their issues to go away, and it's actually amplifying all their issues. Because the Lord doesn't desire you to be feeling, um, let's say it like this. The Lord doesn't desire you to be numb. The Lord desires you to be fully alive. And the only way for you to be fully alive is to first be fully dead. Man, I, this is awesome for me. So Luke 6, let me, let me just read this, and I'm going I'm to break down these soils, and then we're done. <laughs> Luke 6, 45, a good person, a good person produces good things from the treasury of, of a good heart. 
A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So the reason we have, the reason we have apathetic worship today is because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Let's say out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth sings. So when you have people that are just kind of like this in worship saying, Lord, get me out of here, or let them play the song that I like because this song stinks. You know what I'm saying? When you, when you have that type of mentality, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's, 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 it is all a heart issue. It's a hundred, a hundred percent of it is a heart issue. It is a dis-ease issue. It's not a symptom. The symptoms are showing you the disease, but it is not the symptom. Now, amen, wherever that phone was. What do we used to say growing up? Jesus must be calling. All right. <laughs> my brother, my brother Jesus must be calling. Nope, my mom. Um, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. There are four types of soil. If you're taking notes, write this down. I'm going to break these down. Then I'm going to have Matt come up here after this. Four types of soil. The first one is, beat, is a beaten path. Seed sown or the word sown on a beaten path. This represents those hearts that have become so hard, it's impossible for anything of the Lord to take root. As I'm reading this, just kind of picture maybe where you are in some of these or people that you know and love are in some of these. The beaten path represents those hearts that have become so hard, it's impossible for anything of the Lord to take root. This could be unbelievers or it could be the religious who are so set in their ways, they refuse even the slightest revelation that threatens the status quo. The irony is almost all true revelation will challenge the status quo. That's the beaten path. There's seeds sown in gravel, number two. This represents shallow hearts. These are what I call, um, or actually I stole this from somebody, but this, these are what are called um, an inch deep and a mile wide. These hear the word and receive it and maybe even get excited about it. They burn hot for a season, but they base their progress on emotions and feelings and therefore never get deeply rooted. They get bored and unfascinated quickly, and when this happens, they bail. This is often expedited by a realization of what they'll have to give up to pursue this longer than a season. Got a lot of notes that I have a question mark on. I think I'm going to avoid today. Right there. But let me, let me just say this, that the mindset of, and people ask me all the time, I think people getting saved is great. I don't think people stopping at repeating a prayer is great at all. You know what I'm saying? But that, that is the repeated prayer. It's a moment, music's playing, it's the right key, hits the right frequency, you got goosebumps, you raise your hand in a moment of boldness, which is awesome. 
repeat a prayer, but because it's all based on an emotion rather than conviction that leads to repentance and ultimately to being born again after a season of realizing what this is actually going to cost you, most people will just bail out because it was never a true decision in the beginning. It was an emotional moment. There's seed number three, seed. This is the one I have the most notes on right here. There are seeds that are sown among thorns. This represents the lukewarm half-breed heart. These are those who make God and church a calendar filler when nothing else important is going on. These will let their job dictate where they are rooted rather than where they grow spiritually. They will often use phrases like too busy and don't have time. These hearts will often attempt to cover up an idol and pursuit of an idol by saying things like they're called to blank when really they just want to blank. Valleys and storms will cause them to doubt God. They never take the steps of faith because it would too threaten what they really put their trust in, and money chains them so tightly to the world that there's often no difference between their unbelieving friends and them. These are those who try to get rooted in Christ while never dying to what previously kept you from Christ. They hold freedom in their right hand and slavery in their left, which is never really freedom, just an illusion of freedom while actually being enslaved. There's some good news coming, but I just, I'm just, I'm just, this is Jesus, okay? I think that's the majority right there. You have some who in their right hand have good stuff, and in their left hand, they try to hold tight to some stuff that they really shouldn't be holding on to anymore. Then there's number four. Let me point out a couple things before I hit number four. Number one, out of the four types of soil, there's only one that produces things. Good. Out of the four types of soil, there's one that actually produces like it's supposed to produce. Which tells me, Jesus is saying, he's okay scattering seed and taking a chance on it landing good soil. On good soil. I mean, think about goodness. Think about goodness. That he knows the majority of the seed that he tosses is going to be wasted. And he still throws it. Somebody will be in a moment in a secret place and he'll begin to download this revelation knowing, knowing that they'll really probably never do anything with it but taking the chance that last 25% that maybe this will be the moment they actually do something with it. What, I mean, what, what kind of love is that? See, if I'm a farmer and this are my, these are my odds, I'm going to find another job, right? Or I'm going to find another piece of land. But this ain't it. And yet Jesus is okay, okay, throwing out seed, knowing only about 25%, according to this parable, I believe a lot less, but only about 25% are actually going to produce anything good out of it. So number four, there's good soil. This represents hearts that are wide open to what he speaks. 
they take his word and let it get so rooted within that it produces 30, 60, or 100 times what was planted. They seek discipleship and get rooted in a family of soil tenders. Their delight is solely in the Lord at whatever cost. At whatever cost. You know, you know somebody who is committed to the good soil lifestyle when they've laid down things that the world would call good in order to be in a family that cultivates your soil continually being good in and out of season. So I say this all the time. I think I said this Tuesday night, but the reason the body is such a big deal is because when I'm struggling, Mackenzie steps up and says, you know what? Your faith is down, but let me step up and take care of the part that you're lacking in, right? Or when Ellington's in a place where he feels like he just can't make it through another day, I can step in, put my arm around him and say, you know what, we're going to do this together. And so as a body, we're making sure that even in the seasons where the sun tries to dry up the soil to where it becomes something that it is not intended to be, you have somebody around you with a water bucket saying, no, this ain't going to happen to you. And they begin to pour. The, the body, it is, it is crucial. And one of the things out of this season that the Lord continually encourages me to share is the importance of being discipled. It is imperative for a follower of Jesus to be discipled. Imperative. The older I get, the more I realize this. If I tried to do this on my own, I wouldn't be anywhere close to where I am today because I have spiritual fathers and spiritual brothers and sisters and a wife that refuse to let me stop short of what I'm actually designed for. Imperative. And so you getting plugged into a family and rooted in a family where the soil is being tended is way more important than you getting plugged into a family that has good programs. Because let me tell you something, good programs will not tend your soil. Whew, felt that one. Why does, why does he spend so much time teaching on soil? Because the only way the seed of the kingdom was going to have its designed effect is if it got planted in hearts of soil so good, it spread across the whole of creation in every generation and ever increasing in what it produced. Just, I mean, look at verse 26 through 32. He talks about a farmer scattering seed, and he talks about all the different types of soil. And then in verse 26, he starts talking about the kingdom realm starting as a seed. Do y'all see this? Are y'all awake? I'm really worried about you. Some of y'all might need to go get tested. Y'all look a little tired. I'm just joking. <laughs> Right? His kingdom realm is like someone spreading seed on the ground. He goes to bed, gets up day after day. The seed sprouts and grows tall, though he knows not how. All by itself, it sprouts, and the soil produces a crop. Do you see this? He plants the seed, and depending on the soil, it determines how much the crop grows and how healthy the crop grows. So let me say it like this. When he's talking through all this stuff, what he desires to do is take the kingdom seed and plant it within a heart of good soil. But 
where we have to begin is taking all the symptoms of where our soil actually is and leveraging them into digging deep into the ground and doing something about what's there. So we don't start dealing with all the symptoms in our lives. We use the symptoms as, symptoms as leverage to dig deep into the soil, find where the disease is, fix the disease, and start operating in good soil or good heart capacity. And that's where he desires to plant his kingdom. Mark 4 comes after Mark 1 that I taught on two weeks ago, where he begins preaching his message, which is the kingdom is at hand. It's here. It's not distant. It's not a million light years away. It's right in front of you. Therefore, repent and believe. That's what he said. He's saying the kingdom's here, so you're going to have to change how you think. You're going to have to change the will that you follow, and you're going to have to believe in order to experience what's at hand. And the thing that kept everybody but 120 in an upper room after he ascends and goes through everything he went through, the only thing that kept those 120 in a place of good soil is because they went through the process of repenting. They went through the process of changing their thinking and the will that they followed. And in the process of that, he gave them a seed of a kingdom where 120 and 20 gave birth to a gospel that is still exploding across the globe today in 2020. Let me say it like this. Noah spends 80 years building something that only seven other people were interested in being a part of. However, the eight people on that boat had the seed of righteousness within them to repopulate the entire globe. Yahweh can do more with eight righteous people than a million people who are pretenders. And I, I've given my life, and I am giving my life, and will continue to give my life to be one of the Noahs. I mean, pe people can look around and say, man, what, what are y'all doing? We're preparing for a kingdom. What you mean? We're getting out of here. No, I mean, that's, a, that's part of a joke, just seeing if y'all. I mean, but I've, I've had this conversation with people. What, prepare for a kingdom? Don't you know? This thing's getting blown up. Brother, I'm waiting for the morning when I'm getting snatched away. And while you're waiting for the morning, we're establishing a kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We got, I mean, we got to wake up. Paul, I use Paul, wake up, O sleeper. For your light has come. He, he did not say the kingdom of heaven is on Pluto. So y'all just hang out right here. I'm going to snatch you away. We're going to get out of here and we're going to celebrate. He said the kingdom of heaven is here. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be put to death. You're going to be slandered all for my name. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And the church is built on the blood of those who are willing to die to see on earth as it is in heaven. And we use on earth as it is in heaven as a slogan. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Do you know what you're saying? Your kingdom come, your will be done. That means when November comes around, your hope is not in Joe Biden or Donald Trump. It's in Yahweh. Your hope is not in a, man, 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 man. Your hope is not in a post on Facebook it's in Yahweh. If we would spend half the time we spend pushing conspiracy theories on Facebook, in Scripture, we would actually be able to see what's delusional and reality. The reason we don't use our brain is because your brain is found in a book you never opened. 
Whoo, man. I, I, <laughs> the enemy can stop the kingdom from advancing if he can get you to strive trying to reproduce the kingdom in your life without beginning at the heart level. The enemy, listen, the enemy can stop the kingdom from advancing if he can get you to try to reproduce the kingdom in your life without ever looking at your heart. The, the king, listen, just, just listen to this language. God's kingdom is like someone spreading seed on the ground. Now listen to this. He goes to bed, gets up, day after day, the seed sprouts and grows tall, though he knows not how. He goes to bed and gets up day in and day out. And the seed grows, and he don't even know how. It's just growing. So a lot of us want to try to strive to reproduce things that, number one, you can never reproduce. But we try to strive to reproduce things that if we would get our soil right, you could sleep and it would start to grow. I feel this all over me today. I don't know if y'all do. This is amazing news because what Yahweh is leading us into is an age of rest. We've been in an age of rest, but he is forcing us into an age of rest. And it's going to require our level of trust to so elevate that while we're sleeping, we trust what he spoke is actually growing. That we actually trust that what he spoke, he's watching over to perform it while we are still and knowing that he is God. Think about David. David did more than just about any other king that's ever lived other than Christ himself. David. And David's, David's cry of his heart was, I say it all the time, one thing I ask, and this I'll seek forever, to dwell in your house and gaze upon your face. Not riches. And in fact, the moments he tried to strive for things were the moments that got that bad boy in trouble. Bathsheba happened because he was supposed to be at war and he was not. So when he starts doing things outside of the will of God, outside of what he's called to do, when he starts doing things, he starts compromising because he's living in delusion. He's living distracted, right? But the cry of his heart, the true when you got to the depth of him was, one thing I ask and this I will seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and gaze upon the beauty of your face. Well, I mean, what if, what if that was, what would our churches look like if everybody in every church, if you looked at them and said, what are you here for? And they said, one thing, to dwell in his house forever and gaze upon the beauty of his face. Yeah, but so-and-so said this about you last week. It's okay. I'm here for one thing. Yeah, but the deacons voted on the, the red carpet. You wanted blue. Well, I prom we had a church split over that one time. <laughs> in, the t in the town we grew up in, there was a church that uh, voted to have blue carpet, and people left because they wanted red carpet. Um, but, but you know what I'm saying? So you have no room for being offended 
when one thing you desire, and this shall you seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And what begins to happen is, is you begin to become good soil. And as you become good soil, as he begins to scatter seeds, as you're at rest in the one thing lifestyle, the kingdom begins to grow and sprout across the globe without you sometimes even knowing it. And then you're completely at rest. And then I believe those are the ones that he's actually going to begin to give a microphone to. I, don't, I think this next, see, I said this a couple Tuesday nights ago. I think this next season, rather than there being a handful of voices that speak on behalf of everybody, which has got us in a mess, right? Rather than that, I believe he's going to give a million, two million, three million people who have a microphone in pockets of families like this. And that means there can't be one popular person. Jesus has to be the popular person that's raised above all. That's, that's what I believe right now. In China, I can't tell you one famous, I'm sure there, maybe there is one. I can't tell you one famous preacher that has the biggest church in China. And China is seeing the gospel explode on a level that we've never even dreamed of in our best days. How is that possible? Because I don't know a personality, but I know Jesus is very present. If I am lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. The devil has us distracted. He has no authority to force anything on us, but he can show up in the form of a distraction, which will actually cause us to force stuff on ourselves. This is, Matt, go ahead and come up here and just bump the volume like way down to maybe like two. This is a soil season. I don't even like using that language, but, but that's the best language I have. This is a soil season. The Lord said that this would be a season of hope. The next level under that, the next layer is this is a soil season. Hope, hope is expectation for what's to come, but not holding it yet. Taught this last week. So hope is essentially preparation for harvest or reaping. And this is what the Lord spoke to me this week, and I wrote it down. What you do in this season will determine what you hold in the next. What you do. Do not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time you shall reap a harvest if you don't give up. That's what Paul says. What you do in this season, how you steward this season, will determine what you hold in the next. If we approach this season apathetically, you're going to hold an apathetic harvest in the next. And do not question it. Essentially, what the Lord is saying is the harvest you're about to hold is completely dependent on how you steward your heart. He's, he's got, I say this all the time, him pouring out new wine has nothing to do with his desire. He desires to pour out new wine. So if he's withholding new wine, it's not because he desires to withhold something from us. It's because the wineskin has yet to become a new wineskin. Right? So what this season is, what this season is, is us getting so baptized in the oil of presence that when we come up out of this season, we're going to have our pliability back. That's what it is. The old wineskin was not old because of age. It was old because it was dried up. 
I've taught this before. Let me just remind you. When it says new wineskin, that word in the Greek is the same word that's used for new heaven and new earth. Kaihinos is the Greek word. You know what that word means? Restored. Fresh. Restored to original quality is what that word means. Neos in the Greek, neos means new in age. So as in, I just created this. So if anybody says the new heaven, new earth is gonna be a blowing up of the old so he can create something brand new, that is not, that's not accurate. He's restoring creation to its originality, not blowing it up. He didn't blow you up and he's not blowing creation up. You with me? Y'all laugh, I mean, y'all laugh at that language. That's what we were taught. That's what every, I mean, that's what most people who grew up in a Pentecostal church was taught, that the blessed hope is the rapture. The blessed hope is not the rapture. The blessed hope is Yahweh, Jesus Christ, coming to the earth, dying on a cross, so that three days later he could rise up out of a tomb, defeating death, baptizing us in the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, and said, rule and reign, occupy until I return. That's the blessed hope. The blessed hope is the kingdom is at hand, not we're getting out of here. It's that it's getting here. It has nothing to do with escaping. It has everything to do with inheriting. And if we could get out of this mindset that we're escaping, maybe we could start to inherit something. This fires me up because this has put the church in chains. The devil has sold us a lie that we're sitting here waiting around for him to come rescue us because we can't do anything because the big bad world. We're actually called and given the keys to fix the big bad world. And if the world is still big and bad, it's because we've done nothing with it. I, like, and I, I'm not doing that. We're not doing that. Y'all hear me? Like, as a church, as a church, this season, uh, and listen, there are, I've been watching what's going on in other leaders. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of leaders right now that are being radically transformed in the power of God. There's leaders, I, this week, there are leaders that have spent their entire ministries profiting and making money off the rapture's coming that this week have said, you know what? That's not been right. I've got to fix my message. He's actually giving us a kingdom. I'm, I'm telling, I'm telling y'all, what Yahweh's doing is he's fixing the narrative. He's giving us an adjustment so that we can be in alignment with what we were designed to be. It's just a, it's just one degree off, one degree off. I, I am so excited about heaven, but it's one degree off for me to make the whole of my salvation experience about heaven and completely miss the whole part of why I'm still here after salvation. Why did he save us and then leave us here? Why? Makes no sense. If heaven's the goal, you should have gotten saved and then snatched up. If that's the goal, maybe, maybe the goal is you getting saved so that you could bring heaven with you. This is the good soil. He longs to plant the kingdom seed in some soil if we would ever make the transition from symptom management, which is ultimately escapism, which is ultimately, I believe, very close to agnosticism. There's a, 
There's a higher power. There's a higher power somewhere way in the distance. We don't know him. He don't know us, but he's somewhere way, 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 way out there. And one day we might be where he is. So so when we pray, when we pray, we beg and we plead and we beg and we plead. Why? Because we don't really think he hears us. Most people use fasting as a means to twist God's arm to hear us. In other words, if I'm hungry, maybe he'll come close and hear what I'm trying to say. That's not fasting. Fasting is when you stop being hungry for his presence and it reinvigorates your hunger. That's all it is. But fasting is not you twisting God's arm. He doesn't need his arm twisted. You're the righteousness of God. You are a son that calls him Abba, Papa. Papa, Veda doesn't have to twist my arm for anything. She asks, and if it's good, I give it to her. And when I don't give it to her, it's also for her good. Hello? God does not withhold. If he gives us the Holy Spirit, how much more will he give us all things? So I want to ask you the question. I want to ask you this question as we just wrap it up. Uh, I, I said this Tuesday night. I, I think a lot of us are distracted right now. I think a lot of us are in this symptom management junk where we're, we're down or we're walking through a situation or we're bored. I mean, I'll be honest, that's, that's us. Like I, when you have a three and a half year old and everything's closed for months and months and months and months, there's only so many books and so many coloring pages you can do, amen? You know what I'm saying? And then, you know, going to the zoo and wearing a mask, that ain't fun either because you sweat like nobody's business, right? But th- there's, so, there's only so much you can do. And so you start getting bored. And if I'm not careful, I'll, I'll start letting my devotion slide with the Lord because I'm bored with my life. I know I'm speaking to people right now. I know I am. We just get, we get distracted. Maybe this isn't a season for us to shrink back and be destroyed, maybe this is a season where Yahweh is allowing the kingdom to begin to burst forth in the globe. The globe has no hope. Right right now, if you take Jesus out of the globe, there is no hope. Doom and gloom and everybody's down and we lose and this thing's going to crud. That's what the earth is right now, right? So you could look at that and say, Yep, yep, it's all bad. Or you could say, or you could say, maybe he's allowing room for the kingdom to begin to sprout out of good soil. So I'm going to pray. I think, I think two things need to happen right now. Um, I, in fact, I'm, we're going to do something we don't normally do. Um, Matt's just going to play. And this, I guess you would say this is an altar. I, let, me, let me say this. If you need to, I'm going to move some of this stuff out of my way. If you need to make a soil adjustment, if you need to make a soil adjustment, all right, we're family, we're family. But like, if you need to repent of distractions, if you need to repent of sin, maybe this, this season 
of just things going crazy has allowed you to fall into some things that you are not designed to fall into. If there's sin present within you, this is the moment to leave it at his feet. This is the moment. We don't do this a lot. A lot of times we let people take stuff with them to the secret place, but I feel led today for us to lay some burdens down so that we can take his yoke, which is easy. He really wants to till up some soil that's become dry. So just for a moment, if you need to, I would encourage you to just come up to the altar. Matt's going to pray for a minute and um, a play for a minute, and then we're going to pray and be done. But we're just going to take a few minutes. And, and if you see somebody come up here too, and uh, you want to just come up and lay your hands and pray over them and stuff like that, I think that'd be awesome. But, but if that's you, if that's you, this is your moment. Do not leave it. Do not leave it on your shoulders when you walk out this room. Okay? So we're going to pray. We're going to play. And if you need to, just come on up. We're going to just take a few minutes, take a few minutes, and, um, and then we'll wrap it up.